This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the Olive team. I'm Janine, the food director, and I'll be your host for this episode. This week, digital intern Amanda talks perfect fish and chips with Jimmy Doherty, and web editor Alex gets a lesson in Icelandic food from Textures' Aggie Sverenson. But first, I caught up with cheesemonger Morgan McGlynn to talk about some great new British cheeses and the rising trend of urban cheesemaking. So I'm here today with Morgan McGlynn. Welcome. Hi. Um, and she is the owner of um, Cheeses of Muswell Hill, which is a beautiful cheese shop in North London, um, which also last year won Time Out's Best, best Love Shop. Most Love Shop in London, yeah. yeah which and is it's a big shop. A really, I mean, it's a, cute, it's a cute little shop. It's quite yeah. tiny, but it's stacked to the rafters with cheese yeah. because that's your, that's your passion, that's your expertise. Um, and we were just chatting... Um, before we went on about um, how you got started. I think people would be really interesting because you actually started as a Saturday girl. I did, yeah. So we knew the family. Um, so I've lived in Muswell Hill from the day I was born yeah. and we lived on the next road so to the cheese shop. So we were real regulars. We knew the family that owned it and so it was kind of a natural thing for me to be the Saturday girl because I love the shop. <laughs> um, but I was doing my design degree at the time. Yeah. And didn't realise how much I was going to fall in love with it and love the customers, the cheese, the business, the size. Everything was perfect to me. So when the opportunity came up to buy it Mm. at 21, it was a real... Well, for me, it was like, yes, but everyone else was a little bit cautious. Because you li- you literally got derailed from your from your design yeah, degree. definitely gave it time. <laughs> cheese so was be- my life. Before that, you hadn't had the cheese, like, love. You no, just, I you- mean, like everyone else, there's a bit of a foodie, and I cooked yeah. at home a lot. Um, and I'd had a cake business previously just for friends and family. Yeah. Um, so I liked the idea of having my own business. But as soon as I... St- saw that shop something happened and I just thought no I I love this I could do so much with it Um, and it's a very old shop we're 40 years old this year so there's a lot of history and you've got customers that are coming in that have been coming in since the day it opened and that's so special and I don't think you find that that, you wanted to keep that vibe alive and make sure that that yeah and give it a bit of love and um, and maybe change it slightly but not too much and and so yeah I had a big discussion with my dad and and that was it. So it became a family business. Then. It did, yeah. yeah. So my dad helped me up a lot, and my sister works with me. Yeah. Um, so on a day to day, which is really nice. That is so nice. Um, to have that support. Yeah. And my brother's there all the time. Yeah, anytime any DIY doing. <laughs> <laughs> my mum's really good at helping out like, with window displays and the creative. Yeah. And 
around Christmas, I think we have every single family member working yeah. just because we need help. Yeah, um, get them all on yeah, board. My, well, my dad's like a deputy um, head teacher. Yeah. And as soon as school <laughs> breaks up, he gives out mince pies in the queue. Oh, that's so cool. So he's fab. So it's it's really nice to have something little and, and that we can call our own, basically. So, and yeah. how did you find it going into that industry? Because it's, I mean, for a 21-year-old, it must have been quite daunting to suddenly be yeah. needing to go and buy cheese from suppliers. And yeah, I think there was a lot of people that thought, what are you doing? You know, yeah. what, what is this girl doing? She's She doesn't have any experience in, well, she has a little bit of experience in cheese, but not in running a shop. And yeah. um, So it was a real uphill battle, I think. Some people were incredibly supportive. Others were a little bit dubious. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it is quite a male-dominated industry. You yeah. know, cheese making, originally cheese making was done by the women. Men would farm and then the women would okay. make the cheese, but it has gone back to men making cheese now. Yeah. So um, And getting all macho about it. Yeah. <laughs> Like and, and it would be a case of, can you lift that cheddar up? And I'd have to lift a kind of 24 kilo cheddar and just get on with it. Um, so <laughs> it was almost proving my worth. But, you know, in the end, it's been worth it. And, and yeah, it's been really, really good. And when you when you took over the shop, I mean, did you change much? Um, the things that were sold in the shop? Did you sort of yeah. have a, like a vision of what you wanted from working in there? Well, I was very, we had everything. So we had cheeses from all over the world and kind yeah. of what would be most popular with customers. Yeah. So crowd pleasers, whereas I was conscious of that, but maybe not as much. I kind of wanted to get everything new. You know, if there's a tiny supplier, I want them in there. Um, And we did start to concentrate more on British because... As, as it is now, I think it's really important to support those British farmers. Absolutely, yeah. And I was going to see these tiny farmers and thinking, no, I want to sell your cheese. Yeah. And um, <laughs> and I made an effort to try and visit everybody um, in a space of kind of four years yeah. to try and go and visit all of the farms and, and find out what the family's like and yeah. how it's run and making sure that I knew the produce we were selling. Um, and if somebody came in, I could tell them about the fact that this is fourth generation and this oh, wow. is Tom who makes it and his grandfather made yeah. it and make sure that there's a history behind it. Because I think it's all well and good going in and buying a piece of cheddar, but it would be nice to know where it's from and, Absolutely, and yeah. to and kind of how relay much love that. People put into it and yeah. it comes from the milk from their cows exactly. on their farm yeah, and they're like yeah. doing the whole process. Yeah. So we were just saying that... Um, there's been a bit of an explosion in, in cheese making um, yeah. recently, um, especially on quite a small scale. Is that something that you've seen happening with, with like people popping up and saying, come try my cheese? Yeah, well, we get sent a lot of samples every yeah. week. So some of them are amazing. Some of them are not as in my, <laughs> my taste. But um, urban cheese making has really kind of got a name for itself now. Mm. People are starting to make cheeses at home or in tiny production kitchens all over the place, London has just become crazy. Yeah. Um, we've got a guy who's fantastic making his grandmother's Cypriot recipe of um, oh. halloumi and feta in Enfield. And it's incredible. It's really good. So good. So we went up and made cheese with him a couple of weeks ago. Yesterday I went and made um, burrata with lalata. Burrata with lalata. Um, Burrata and mozzarella with uh, the lalata um, company, which is based in West London. So So just learned how to make mozzarella from scratch. Which is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so fun and it's so easy. But these companies are just, they're kind of changing the cheese industry. You know, it's not so much on farms anymore. You can go out and you can source the milk and make it at Mm. home or make it in a kitchen. And there's some amazing cheeses coming from it. And like I was saying before about Yorkshire Pecorino. Oh, yeah. Because we were just saying that, you know, the, the idea of um 
a cheese that people know the name of, like Pecorino, but yeah. they're doing it in Yorkshire. Yeah. So who are those guys so then? He is Mario. So he had a restaurant up in Leeds. Yeah. Um, and he knows the recipe, obviously, again, from his family. So where he comes from. And they've been making Pecorino for yonks forever. And he decided to source the milk and start making it in his kitchen in Leeds. Wow. Um, so he makes a Leeds Blue and a Yorkshire Pecorino. And yeah. he won the Great Taste Award this year a um, couple of uh, maybe a month ago yeah. for the pecorino and it's incredible Fantastic. it sells out we can't get enough of it he so that's physically the can't make cheese, enough isn't it? yeah and it's quite it's got like quite a salty edge it to is, it yeah. but a bit creamy as well young as well so yeah. you do get the creaminess nice and it's fantastic to know that he's made a cheese at some point in the week it's going to be matured and then it will be with us you know there's no air travel time we're not no. sourcing it from it's coming from britain it's it's just fantastic and also the fact that you know, he's got history with the cheese. He understands the nature of what Pecorino is and he's putting all the love into it. So he's coming out with an amazing product yeah. rather than just going at it blind, not really understanding it. Yeah. I think that's the main thing, isn't it, with cheeses? You've got all the tools there, but mm. you have to have the love and the knowledge to exactly. kind of bring that cheese And it's quite there. hard work yeah. as well. Like, you know, you start off with a lot start, of milk, don't you? Yeah, but a huge amount of milk. And yeah. I'm sure lots of mistakes. Like yeah. when I've made it at home, some of it comes out and you just think, oh God, I wouldn't feed that to the dog. Yeah. But sometimes it's amazing yeah. and once you get it right like he has he's just rocketed it's crazy I mean he's doing so well we he can't make enough for demand at the moment so he's just literally doing it in his kitchen um, the kids help you know his <laughs> wife's helping so it's just fab proper cottage industry yeah. isn't it it's, and, it's great and we also um, talked about because I when I was in Cornwall last year I had Cornish Gouda oh yeah um, which is just such a beautiful cheese yeah um, and I think I love that idea that they're, they're taking a style of cheese and not being scared to kind of play with it. Yeah, well, obviously, um, Gil and his family, they originate from Norway, so they have a history there. Yeah. They came over and they started a dairy farm. And the boys were quite young, I think. He was telling me they must have been about 19, 20. Yeah. Um, and him and his brother came home one day and there was a for sale sign oh, on the yeah. farm and they were really, really upset and they actually ripped it down went inside and told their mum this isn't happening and they were trying to think of ideas to you know keep the dairy alive yeah. and they came up with Gouda and it's been amazing yeah. you know you've tried it it's, yeah, it's incredible. so delicious yeah. like, and I thought it was going to be a bit novelty when I, yeah. when I walked into this little dev, deli in Port Levin yeah. and she said I'll try it and I tried it and I was like this is amazing yeah. <laughs> please give me a bit it's so them. good yeah. and we sell so much of it yeah. it's fab and he's a great character I think he's only about 26 now you know and he's been making this amazing cheese he comes down to London he does a few markets down here yeah. he does four different maturities mm. you know he's catering for everybody and it's it's just great and the fact that he's doing that and you know his family are involved it's and it's great helped. that it, it's something that um, is not dying out and in fact yeah. has been picked up by young people as well because yeah. I think a lot of um, I actually did a cheese making course at the School of Artisan oh, Food. Yes. Yeah, that's really um, good. It was just a one day, like really fresh cheeses. But mm -hmm. the woman that taught us was um, the, I'm sorry, I don't know her name, but um, she does Tom Worth cheese. Yes, um, yeah. So that would have been yeah. um, Kim or. 
can't remember her name, but yeah, from the, the two, one of the two girls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it was an incredible day because this obviously the science behind it, but without 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 the TLC, you're never gonna, you know, it's a bit like bread. Yeah, you've got the tools, but unless you kind of know where you need to go with it, you're never gonna come out with a good product. Yeah, yeah, so, and they're a really good example of that. You yeah. know, they've just started making their own British fashion. Yeah, which you know, if you know about. I've never fashion, tried that. It's that incredible. <laughs> so it's a French cheese that we buy mm. lots of over here in England. Um, but the fact that you can buy it and it's coming, you know, yeah. from up the road is, is fab. It's really, really good. And are you finding customers are getting more adventurous because you've literally, because you've got these things out in the shop and you're yeah. kind of inviting them in to try and, and, you know, they'll come back and sort of... Yeah, well, we try to um, showcase as many, you know, little supplies as we can. Yeah. And so we will have them out on a Sunday and or Saturday and Sunday and get them tasting them. Yeah. And then you'll see that these cheeses go on to you know, get repeat business. Yeah. It's fantastic. Um, and we sometimes have the cheesemakers come down and showcase their own cheeses. Then the customer can find out about the backstory, find out why this cheese is so fantastic and why you should be buying these cheeses over maybe a supermarket cheese and investing in the farming industry, yeah. basically. And you're, you've become so fas- passionate about it that you're actually writing a book now. Yeah, just I told am. me. <laughs> well, I've got to start writing yeah. it. Um, What's the book going to be about? So it's all about cheese making at home. Yeah. So, so actually, like, practical how you can yeah that's great recipes and the way you can do things first we'll, we'll showcase some of these smaller cheesemakers like yeah. i was saying to get the word out there and see that you know there may be cheese made up the road in leads from you and you don't even know about it yeah. um and then in there i've got some recipes from all over the world so i've got recipes from places like pakistan nice. where there's a guy making cheese on his own uh, he's the first person in the country oh, by the looks not, of it yeah 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 um making it and we've got thailand um so, so some quite like out there places yeah to, we're to trying to find cheese. like the tiniest people and yeah. they're giving us recipes and we're putting them in the book alongside some of my recipes that i've picked up along the way yeah. so, so are you kind of saying in the book that you don't need a huge amount of equipment to start to start no. off your cheese making. There's basically going to be a rating system. Right. So you'll be able to make these cheeses with this equipment, pretty basic. Yeah. And if you do want to go off and make a gouda <laughs> with a cheese press, please be my guest. But it <laughs> will become going to be a little bit yeah, more complex. It's a little bit more yeah. complex and it's a little less hobby-like. Mm. But they will be in there as well so that, you know, it goes straight from people that are just starting to people that are maybe a bit mm. more advanced. Cool. Um, so, yeah, I've got to get to it, really. <laughs> and people can see you appear in monthly. I've just found this out because I'm never up on a yeah. Sunday morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just my lifestyle. But yeah. um, you're on... Uh, Saturday, sorry, Sunday, Sunday brunch, brunch. On, yeah. on, once a month now. It meant to be, yeah, yeah. so as, regularly, as basically. As the regular yeah. cheese girl. Yeah, so... Recommendations. It's, um, so we go on there and showcase some of the cheeses, again, that it's people great. may not know. Um, it's do great a that the show's segment. getting behind it as well. They're really... so fantastic. Yeah. I've never, ever worked with, you know, people that would encourage small people like myself yeah. um, and give them such a good platform yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's meant that we've been able to go on there, showcase these smaller mm. people, and also for the shop, we're only a tiny little yeah. shop in North London and they've really backed us and got behind us so yeah. they're they're amazing so really good if people want to come and see the shop you're in Muswell Hill we are yeah um, but you've also got a little online um, business as well yes what, what's the um, it's, it's cheesesonline.co.uk um, you can pop on there yeah. and, and I think I, w- I went in there last week and you've got a few like you've got a few showcases for different cheeses yeah. that people can buy and stuff as like well like little selections yeah. in case you're not sure what you want to you want to try something new mm. yeah so thanks so much for talking it's to us okay. today I, I want to read that book <laughs> <laughs> I want to make my own I'll get cheese. writing it yeah. <laughs> but, um, it was great talking to 
to you and it's All been right. a real education thank, thank you Morgan thank you <laughs> Now, can you have perfect fish and chips without malt vinegar? Jimmy Doherty tells Amanda why it's a must for him. Hello, I'm here with Jimmy Doherty to talk about all things fish and chips. Um, Jimmy is the product ambassador for Sarsons. We're just going to talk about vinegar and all great things about it. So, we'll talk about fish and chips first. So, what would you say makes a great batter when like, you're having... Oh, a great batter. Fish? I think that uh, if you're making it, you want to have, uh, obviously, the flour. The great flour comes from Essex. Yeah. Marriages is really good. But make a beer batter. And you can use something like a, uh, an Adnams uh, broadside. Okay. Because once that really throths up, you, get, you make it really light and airy and super crisp. So, really good batter. But for me, fish and chips... Yeah. Uh, very, very British. It is. Not, not only because we're known for fish and chips and all that kind of stuff, but we're an island nation, okay? So we're surrounded by sea, but also we're great at producing fantastic food on yeah. the land. So we're like number one farmers when it comes yeah, to yeah, Olympics. Yeah. So it's all about fish and all about potatoes. Would you say then if, obviously, us as an island, would you say that going to the seaside you'd get the best fish and chips because obviously we're here in Soho in London right now but... Do you know what that that varies I think the eating of fish and chips is a unique experience on the coast yeah. because you're down there it's the sea it's... it could be beautiful and sunny but some of the best fish and chips I've had yeah. is when it's been blowing a hoolie and you're in the car and all that steam comes up and all true. the windows yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. sitting there and it's cold outside and you eat this lovely <laughs> fish and chips it it's, it's, that is a unique is, eating experience steam. and unfortunately many tourists don't experience no. that because they're here in the summer it does always feel like the right thing to do when you go to seaside though oh I've got to have the fish and chips but You've got to always You've got to you know. um, and so what would you say makes like when you're making fish and chips, what's the best fish to use? Well, the classics. Yeah. Okay, a cod and haddock. Yeah. Okay, but whiting works really well, and that's super, super cheap. Coley works really well. Yeah. They're all in the cod family. Uh, but you can mix it up a bit. You can use other stuff. You can, you can use uh, salmon if you wanted to, which is quite interesting because yeah. you open up the butter and there's a lovely pink salmon inside. So I would really go for some of the lesser cod family. So whiting what, uh, yeah. and coley. One, because they're much cheaper. And two, it takes a little bit of pressure off of our cod uh, yes. stocks, which are coming back. But I think we live next to the ocean. Let's really change it up the type of fish yes. that we eat as well, you know. But for me, classic fish and chips would be, I love a haddock. It's either cod or haddock. Yeah, it? I mean, I always go cod. I do, yeah. I do like a haddock, okay. Um, but then there would be chips. Sometimes I double fry the chips. Yeah. Uh, beef dripping is great. <gasps> Got to use Maris Piper. They're, they're the best, best chipping kind of potato. Absolutely delicious. Yeah. Okay. Molden sea salt. Always. Lovely. <laughs> Sarsen's vinegar. For sure. And what about mushy peas? Would you go for mushy peas? Do you know what? I'm not a mushy pea lo- fan. No, but I will have a Wally, which, do you call it a Wally? No, it's a Wally. Well, a Wally's a gherkin. But ah. yeah, I'm from Essex and, we're, and, and my, my family originally from the east end of London, and a, a, a gherkin is known as a Wally. Yeah. Didn't know that. I've always been a little bit put off. Is it the stuff in the jars on the side? No, big fat, big fat wally, big fat Ooh, gherkin. I've never been keen on those pickles or no, gherkins. No, oh, they're the best. No, because do you know what's great about fish and chips is that you've got the rich batter. Yeah. Okay. You've got that lovely potato. Both have been fried. Okay. Then you've got the vinegar, sarsen's vinegar, and then you've got a pickle, and that cuts through that fat. Yeah. And that's really hmm, important. Interesting. So obviously, sarsen's is like the most popular in the UK. What? Well, how? Um, how is Sarsons like produced? Like, why? Well, do you know what? If you walk around the Sarsons factory and I blindfolded you and opened your blindfold yeah. and said, and I said to you, right, uh, 
welcome to this amazing vineyard where we're we're getting the wine and we're maturing the wine in these barrels. You go, oh my God, it's so beautiful. Or if I said to you, in these barrels, this is a, a beautiful old port that's maturing. Okay, yeah, you yeah. believe me, you go, yeah. wow. But if I said, imagine these 15, 20 foot barrels that have been there for about 100 years made of Siberian pine. Wow. And I said, this is about making vinegar. You go, what are you talking about? But Sarsen's vinegar is one of those unique artisan products that everyone can afford. Yeah. And I think there's probably a handful of British products that if you if there was a, a real established British yeah, food yeah, museum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarsen's would be one of those. It starts its life as barley wine, so they make a beer. Yeah. So there's a head brewer that starts the vinegar right, process, okay. just like you go to any brewery yeah, yeah, yeah. or any distillery making whiskey. Starts off with the barley. They, they produce this, it's about eight, 9% beer. Then they take it and then they put it in these great big vats to mature. Wow. Then after that, they're removed to another vat where they employ bacteria that live in this nest of wood shavings. Right. And that starts the acidic, acidification of the fluid and that turns into malt vinegar. I never knew that. Exactly. I think it's so like easy for us to pick up on the in the supermarket and no one has a clue the complexity you know that goes into uh, making when, it. When it comes to good food, a lot of people go, do you know what, I can't afford all that artisan food. I can't, well, I can't afford that top end, you know, Parma ham or I can't afford... But actually, do you know what you can afford? Yeah. Is a bottle of Sarsen's vinegar and you're buying <laughs> you into... You're buying into proper British food history because where would fish and chips be without salt and vinegar? That is very true, Jimmy. That's very, very true. So why as a nation do you think we love vinegar so much? Like, what do you think it is? Like well, Every nation you go to, vinegar's there. It and is, vinegar's yeah. there because it helps balance food out. You can add it to so many dishes to balance those flavours. But also it's a health-giving uh, uh, liquid. Yeah. So the idea of... The, I, I collect lots of old farming books because um, I'm a bit of a geek like that. And, and well. when you look at some of this old wisdom, vinegar was put into the horse's trough or the pig's trough right. to help aid digestion, to get rid of any nasties in their, in their stomach. So people knew that vinegar was essential to your diet. You needed that. We all talk about healthy gut bacteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And vinegar's important to that. Because I've never myself been massive on vinegar. I'll have like sea salt vinegar crisp, but when I go to a chippy, I wouldn't necessarily get vinegar. But why would you do that? I don't know. Why would you have I it on crisp? I don't know what it is. I don't know. It's strange, isn't it? I'm a massive salt lover, but yeah, I didn't know the complexity that goes into making it, and I feel like I'm fully. But you need to get that. a traditional. You've got to have malt vinegar. Yeah. You can make it with chemicals really easy. You make a vinegar really easy, but you're just having this acetic acid that has no roundness or fullness to it. You see, we celebrate. You go and get a French cider vinegar. You hear chefs yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. you know these beautiful Italian vinegars, and you go, well, actually, that's all well and good, but Britain has great vinegars, and we have a staple vinegar. Uh, but, but we're a, we're a barley nation. Yeah. Whiskey, beer, and that's why malt the malt. Vinegar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not just any vinegar. You need it to be malt to give that extra yeah. complexity. Sharpness, bite. Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Well, thanks, Jimmy. That's, not a problem. I feel like I've learned loads today. Well, now you're going to you eat know, fish and chips I'm now. And I'm going to be going down the chip here and be getting my sarsens vinegar on my fish and chips. That's it. Don't say vinegar. Say sarsens. Sarsens. <laughs> thanks, Jimmy. Cheers. Finally, here's Alex with chef Aggie Sverensen on Icelandic cuisine, where to eat and drink in Reykjavik and what Icelandic folk drink to keep warm in the cold. 
Hello, it's Alex here. I'm at Texture, a modern European restaurant with Scandinavian influences in Marylebone, London, to celebrate the restaurant's 10th birthday. And the man behind Texture, Agnar Sverison, known by his friends as Aggie, has taken a moment out of the celebration to chat to me about current travel hotspot Iceland and its intriguing cuisine. So, hello, Aggie. Nice Hi. to meet you. Um, Pleasure of mine. Okay, so, though not an Icelandic restaurant as such texture is definitely influenced by Iceland because you are from Iceland, aren't you? Can you tell us a little bit about Icelandic cuisine? Yeah, like, uh, like I would uh, want to say, is obviously it's not Icelandic cuisine here. We have Icelandic ingredients. Okay. So I would say more um, when it comes to Iceland, we use quite a lot of ingredients from Iceland. But the mm -hmm. cooking is not necessarily Icelandic as such. Okay. And, um, well, Icelandic cooking is a little bit about, obviously a lot about fish. Mm -hmm. We use a lot of fish. And in, in the old days when I was growing up and so on and so on, it used to be quite simple, either pan-fried fish or even boiled uh, hot dog or uh, cod, which was you were eating two, three times a week, really. Okay, so um, you, you do serve a lot of fish at Texture, don't you? And I've heard that Raymond Blanc described the restaurant as to fish what St. John is to offer, which is quite a pretty high accolade. Um, so. so are there any fish unique to Iceland that you use on the menu or any favourites? Yes, I mean, uh, I think uh, the Icelandic cod is probably one of the best cod in the world. Mm -hmm. And we use it all the time. We have it here on the menu. Uh, we've had it uh, here actually for 10 years, uh, this lightly salted Icelandic cod. I think uh, langoustines, Icelandic langoustines, are extremely good as well. Mm -hmm. The halibut. What, what makes them special? Uh, obviously, the waters around Iceland are very, very, very cold, mm -hmm. and very, but very clean at the same time. Okay. So the fish is very clean, and uh, obviously, it's very easy to get fresh fish everywhere around Iceland. So it's always on top, top, top quality as well. And uh, yeah, they old or still, uh, still alive when you almost can eat it. Oh, amazing! So, um, what? Cooking methods do they use in Iceland to make sure that this fish is like really highlighted? Yeah, I mean, in the end of the day, uh, like somebody says, less is more. So you mm -hmm. don't want to fuck around too much no. with, with uh, some amazing ingredient. So instead of uh, doing all kinds of uh, strong sauces and uh, blah, 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 you try to have it as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. You poach it or you pan fry it and you have some light sauce with it. So actually the fish will enjoy itself rather than vice versa. Okay, and also do you, um, do you use a lot of smoking? And we do a lot, lot yeah, I mean, uh, we do quite a bit of smoking, but... Um, Obviously, smoked salmon is very famous, especially in Scandinavia, well, everywhere, actually. But um, we are not... I'm not that keen on... I think now, these days, it's smoked. Everything is smoked. Yeah. And I think it's just too much. Okay. In the end of the day, I love barbecue flavors, and I love some things which are smoked. But when you're getting ash and uh, smoke and uh, in every dish... I, I don't no, it's think too it's much. too much. It's too much. Yeah. So, what's your favourite um, fish dish on your menu? Well, it uh, needs to be the lightly salted cod with uh, avocado and uh, tomatoes and uh, olive oil. Yeah. Amazing. So, there's uh, lots of fresh ingredients there. So, I know you use a lot of clean, simple cooking methods, Absolutely. don't you? So, what are the most commonly used ingredients in like Iceland in general? Well, obviously fish. Mm -hmm. uh, we use quite a lot of butter, actually. But, butter? Uh, yeah, but uh, like I said, and like here, I don't use cream or butter. Yeah, I I've use heard it, you yeah, don't yeah. use it at all, yeah. apart from on the dessert exactly. menu. Is that exactly. true? Yes. So do you, do you get from... what? How do you create um, 
the texture that people use in butter? No, the, 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 bot, the bottom line is for me, you get much cleaner and fresher flavors uh, mm-hmm. by not using cream or butter. They get more sharp, so I use a lot of vinegar, good vinegar in, in okay. my uh, cooking. What vinegar in particular do you well, use? Well, uh, all kinds. I mean, mostly uh, red wine vinegar and, and the white wine vinegar, but it needs to be top, top, top quality, mm-hmm. not like a table white wine vinegar or yeah. whatever. It needs to be something which I actually use, not by reducing, but whatever actually I use by seasoning sauces up. So I need less salt, but I get more uh, clean, fresh flavors by using this beautiful uh, okay. ingredient. Yeah, sounds sensible. Um, so if you had to pick three top ingredients to use, what would you use in your cooking? Well, olive oil, <laughs> for testing. sure. Yeah. What type of olive oil do you use? Where does it come from? Well, we, we get uh, the olive oil from Spain. Uh, depends on the seasons. Um, olive oil is not just olive oil because um, you think that, ah, this olive oil, yeah, I can use it for everything. No, it doesn't matter if it's extra virgin or... It, some olive oils um, are good with tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Some olive oils are not good with tomatoes. Okay. So okay. you need to see, olive oils are to season up flavors, not just to use as a dressing, really. Because no. olive oil can enhance up the flavor in tomato and it can also kill the tomato. Okay, so, so what would you use for a tomato? Which um, olive oil? Well, you need to come here to test it. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Um, and excuse me if it's a huge cliche and not actually true, but I've heard you eat a lot of puffin and whale in Iceland. Is this true? Absolutely, 100%. Okay. And um, do you ever include these on your menu? No, I think I would be arrested here in Orfenes if oh, I yeah, would. Of yes, <laughs> but saying that, I've brought a whale with me a few times over. Uh, to London and I've um, yeah I've let the staff try it and so on and so on. Okay. Whale sashimi is better than uh, tuna sashimi for me. Really? It's amazing. Yes. Okay. And what, how do they cook like puffin over there in Iceland? Well, it's a lot of smoked, okay. smoked and marinated. But you can also just pan fry it and okay. serve it like a pigeon. Is it, is, it, is it got a similar texture to pigeons? Yeah, so it's similar, but it's much rich. more fishy, fishy flavor. Okay, it's, of course, it's, yeah, yeah, eating yeah, one yeah, fish. Yeah. Ah, and then whale, how would they? Um, well, either pan fry it like uh, like uh, rare beef okay. or whatever uh, you can use it as pepper steak or as a sashimi or or, or, or sushi or whatever okay um, and so Reykjavik is where you're from isn't it well Correct. yes um, and over the past few years it's seen a huge rise in pop- popularity everybody seems to be going do you have any idea why that might be is there a particular reason why yeah I think because years? we are all crazy over there and people enjoy that <laughs> People go to to watch crazy people. Yeah. Um, it's it's very cold, isn't it? So because I I went and not for me, but maybe well, for, uh, for for yeah, me. Yes, I went a few yeah. years ago and it was pretty cold. Like yeah. what do what do locals drink to to warm them up? Do you have something like, strong? Yes, plenty of snaps. Do you have a, a snaps uh, typical to Iceland? Yes, uh, Icelandic brennivin. Bren- Icelandic brennivin. Okay, and what's it's like that? A, like? It's a cumin. Um, Cumin snaps was like forty percent, oh, and we used to nice. call it in the old days black death for a certain reason. Yes, you will get the black death if you drink too much of it. Black death. Yeah. Just why is that? Just you black out. Uh, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll leave that there. When you go back to Reykjavik, where do you go to eat and drink? Because um, I know a lot of our readers and listeners will be going to Reykjavik at some point. So, do you have any tips for them? Um, yeah. Well, um, I usually always stay at the one on one hotel. It's a little boutique hotel in uh, downtown Reykjavik. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a great Icelandic chef there who is actually running uh, two restaurants there. Okay. One is a new ice, um, Italian restaurant called right. Essencia. 
and uh, he is serving Italian food but with Icelandic ingredients. Oh, fab. So okay. he does it quite well. Very simple, but very clean and very good uh, food. And there's a nice atmosphere. So I like to go there when I go to Iceland. What about places um, to like drink? Are there any coffee shops and like places to go? And, you know, do you go anywhere after to bars after work? Yeah, I mean, I'm on the Icelandic bar, one is called the Coffee Bar, and there's another one. Um, the American bar is another one. It's, it's. I mean, downtown centre of Reykjavik, it's nothing but yeah. bars. So, OK, uh, amazing, do a little bar crawl. Yeah. Um, and um, are there any other destination restaurants outside Reykjavik that you can Yeah, well, recommend? obviously, uh, in the Blue Lagoon. I think it's an yes. amazing uh, restaurant in Blue Lagoon. OK. Uh, actually, very, very, very good. And uh, they are about to open, actually, a small fine dining uh, there um, in March, I believe, next year. Oh, fab. This is, um, I'm trying to be a little bit involved with, so uh, it will be very exciting. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay, well, um, we'll head there then. Um, so if anybody wants any more tips on Reykjavik, we'll put something up on olivemagazine.com very soon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so good luck with the 10-year anniversary party. Thank, thank you very you much. for chatting to us. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please don't forget to go review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our packed October issue now from newsagents or download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with even more food and drink chat.